2 Chronicles 7.14 says this, If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin and heal their land. So I know some of you came in late, I just want to say welcome, it's great you can be here with us. My name is Al, I'm the pastor here. And uh, it's Ash Wednesday, and so it's my plan to speak for a few moments about revival. (laughs) Who was expecting that? You see, Ash Wednesday involves repentance and humbling ourselves and praying and turning from our wicked ways. It involves those things. But what I wanted to start tonight by saying, that is not the goal of Ash Wednesday. Right? Ash Wednesday involves these things, but that is not the goal of Ash Wednesday. Many of us have this image of God sitting up in heaven, and all he cares about is that we behave like good little children. And he wags his finger and he tuts. And he's got lightning on hand to throw down on us. That is not the God that we find in the Bible. The God we find in the Bible sees these things, but that's, that's you know, the, the, what his real desire for us. He has the Father's heart. He has the Father's heart. His desire for us is to step into the fullness of everything he has for us. His desire for us, you see, the goal of Ash Wednesday is not all about sin. The goal of Ash Wednesday is that we deal with sin so that we can step into revival, right? So that we can step into the fullness of everything that God has for us in our lives and His desire for us. That's really what Lent is all about. We're moving towards to, uh, to Lent, this reminder of the fullness of everything that God has for us, this reminder of the gospel. And so the whole idea of Ash Wednesday is that we are preparing the way to step into everything that God has for us. If you've been coming to the church uh, in recent months, you'll know that in many ways God has been inviting us to raise our expectations. So it is very easy, isn't it, to go to church and you kind of tick the box and that's it. But it's almost as if in recent months what God has been saying to us, uh, what if there's more? What if the things we read about in the Bible are actually real? That it's not just about ticking a box, right? But when, when God says, I have plans to prosper you, what that means is he really does have plans to prosper us. When he says, I have more for you, right? I want to bring healing. I want to bring restoration. I want to bring purpose. I want to give you life in all its fullness. What if he really means that? What if there really is transformation and renewal and and all the promises that are in the Bible? What if that nothing is beyond him, what we just prayed? It's very easy to go, yep, yep, nothing's beyond God. What if it's really true? You see, I think God is inviting us to expect those things and to not settle for some kind of very dull church kind of experience. Now, when I say revival, I know that can mean all kinds of things. What I'm talking about, revival, my understanding of revival is what happens is, it's when we start to experience those things in God, and we are truly changed from the inside out. And what happens is we start to experience this transformation, this renewal, and this healing, and this restoration, and this power, and this joy, and woo, I could carry on, right? But the point is that it starts to bubble up and overflow out of us to such an extent that it starts to change those around us. That's revival. Right, that it, this work that happens within us, and then it overflows and it impacts our, our, our families, our friends, our church, our community, our city, our world. 
See, God is inviting us to actually expect, to raise our expectations. And I think that's why the Lord put 2 Chronicles 7, 14 on my heart. You see, humbling ourselves, praying, seeking his face, turning from our wicked ways is a pattern of behavior that is that the purpose of that is not so that we can feel bad about ourselves and beat ourselves up and kind of go, oh, woe is me, right? The point is we deal with these things so that we can go on into revival. That's the whole point. That's the goal of it. That's the point about Ash Wednesday. And I really like this verse because here, this is what we have right now. So it doesn't say, gosh, you know, I need my people to humble themselves, pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, right? That's what I need. That's not what he says. Here is a promise. He says, if my people do these things, if my people humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I'm going to hear from heaven. I'm going to forgive their sin and I'm going to heal their land. What I like about that is he's going to hear from heaven, and then he's going to do this work in us. This is where the revival begins. I'm going to, he says, I forgive the sins, but that's like a shortcut for everything. I'm going to bring transformation and renewal and restoration and breakthrough <laughs> and freedom and all these kind of things are going to happen in you. But then it's going to overflow to such an extent that guess what might happen? The land might get healed. See, that's the summary of this thing. That's, that's his promise. But I suppose the thing is, I wanted to say that it all flows from what I want to call a pattern of behavior. It flows from a pattern of behavior which looks like this, that we humble ourselves, we pray and seek his face, and we turn from our wicked ways. It all flows from that. It all flows from this heart, this desire, if you like, to be right with God, to get right with God, to stay right with God, to deal with our sin. And so that obviously is what Ash Wednesday is about. That's why the church has been, uh, you know, participating in Ashway down, down, down the centuries. And so that's what we're going to be doing tonight. And before we do that, I want to say a few words. I don't get too many opportunities to talk about this, and perhaps I should. So I'm going to seize the moment now, because this is really important. This is really important. I want to say a few things about this pattern of behavior, about humbling ourselves, repenting of our sins, seeking his face, praying, turning from our wicked ways. And because this is really important, and the first thing is this. I want to be super clear for us all here that doing these things is not about needing to be good enough. Yeah. It is not about needing to be good enough. I want you to think about this verse. It's on the little handouts that I've sent you. It would be natural to think, wouldn't it, that God is saying this thing to his people, right, because they're in a mess, right? You can imagine it's like this, oh, my gosh, my people are there again. They're making so many problems. If they could just, you know, humble themselves and pray, then everything would be all right. And that's often how we perceive it. We often kind of perceive that God's just saying, if you could just, if you could just be a little bit better, everything would be okay. I want you to know God spoke this in 2 Chronicles 7.14 at the high point in the Old Testament, at the time when the people of Israel were as close to God as they were ever, right, at any point in the Old Testament. If you know the story of the Old Testament, obviously they were in the, in the wilderness and everything was going wrong. Then the Lord did lead them into the promised land, but then you know, generations went by until under David they took kind of hold of the entire land. And we kind of entered this period of prosperity, and guess what? The land was healed, right? 
And then Solomon uh, becomes king. And under him, there's this great time of abundance, which is really uh, a sign, a, a kind of a picture of the kingdom of God in all its abundance. And during that point, they, they built the temple and they dedicated the temple. And Solomon says a prayer of dedication. And immediately after, this is what God says, at the high point in the life of Israel, where they're as close to God as they will ever be. He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. This is kind of odd, isn't it? Why would God say it then? And I want to say to you, you see, the reason this is so important and it's such a, a, an important moment to say it is that this pattern of behavior is not about being good enough to get in. It's not about good enough. It's not about becoming good enough because they were already in. Do you see what I mean? It was not about, if, if you could just become good enough, then I'll call you the people of God. In fact, what he says is, these are my people and they are called by my name. And the reason I want to make that point is exactly the same with the gospel. We so often think we're in this place where it's like, if I can just be good enough, then God will love me. But what happens is, if you are a Christian, guess what? You are in Christ. You are in. The old is gone and the new has come. You're seated in the heavenlies. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. You're in. You're in. You're in. You're in. So nothing about Ash Wednesday, repenting, sinning, humbling ourselves, right? Not sinning. <laughs> Turning from our wicked ways is about being good enough to get in because you're in. If you're a Christian, you're in. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you. It's a bit like this. We were talking about this topic on Sunday morning at the Hour of Power uh, before service. And um, uh, Adam gave a great uh, talk about uh, sin, actually, and the importance of dealing with sin so that, we, so that we're not grieving the Spirit, so that the Spirit of God can move through us. And he used this analogy of it's like, you know, we're driving in a car. We're in, a, we're in a car, and every now and then you hit a little bug on the windscreen, don't you? And every now and then you go through some mud, and mud gets on the windscreen. And then, you know, occasionally a bird will fly over past. And I want to just say, it doesn't matter how dirty the windscreen is. You're still in the car. You're still in the car. Right? And so the whole point about uh, Ash Wednesday, the whole point about this verse is not so that you are good enough to be, you know, to, to, to be part of the family, to be in Christ. If you're in, you're in. If you're in, you're in. We spend so much time worrying about whether we're good enough for God, and it's a complete waste of time. And so I want to say to you, you're probably sitting there, you may be sitting there, and you're thinking, well, what on earth are they all about then? <laughs> That's a good question. In fact, that is the question. So the whole point about these things, about humbling ourselves, repenting, you know, turning from our wicked ways, is so that we can step into the fullness of what Christ has for you. The more I've thought about it, these instructions, this pattern for living is such a blessing. It's such a blessing. You may not have ever thought of repentance and humbling yourself and turning from your wicked ways as a blessing. But the point is they are such a blessing. Because every, every promise of the kingdom, every promise in the Bible, it all flows from our relationship with Christ. So he is the source and everything flows from him. And, I, you know, I've said this in recent Sundays, sin doesn't exclude us from the relationship, but it sure does mess with it. It sure does mess with it. If you're driving along with a car and you've got a few bugs, a bit of mud and a bit of whatever, right? 
If you carry on and don't do anything about it, then sooner or later you're going to hit a tree. Sooner or later you're going to you may even have to stop completely because there's just so much muck on the windscreen. And if you think about it, it's the same in any relationship that we have. Okay, so if I do something to offend you or any one of you, then I'm not going to be able to step into the fullness of that relationship, right, (laughs) until I come up to you and say, look, I'm really sorry. And try not to say, but, you know, really it was your fault. (laughs) Right, we're not going to be restored to the fullness. We're not going to, you know, we're never going to be able to step into the fullness of what God has for us if our relationship is somehow damaged. And the stuff that we do gets in the way of our relationship. You know, two thoughts. There are two things about relationship with Christ. Relationship with Christ. The first is this. It's a covenant relationship. So you might have relationships with all kinds of people, and if they annoy you, you just leave them. Bye. Right? How many of you have had a long-term relationship with those people that phone up the whole time and say, oh, I'm speaking to you about your credit card? All these random sale calls, right? But the thing is, in a covenant relationship, you're committed. Jesus is committed. You're in a committed relationship. He's not going anywhere. And that's wonderful, but it also means he sees everything and, and nothing is hidden. And he's not going to go, you, you know, you can think you're as far from God as you like, but he's seeing everything. And everything is getting in the way. Secondly, I want to say that the other thing about relationship with Jesus is that um, he's never wrong. <laughs> Some of you may have covenant relationships with Mr. Wright. Nikki likes to say, When I married Mr. Wright, I didn't know I was marrying Mr. Always Wright. (laughs) When you became a Christian, you came into a covenant relationship with Mr. Wright, (laughs) Mr. Always Wright. (laughs) So these things are a blessing because if we want the fullness of what Jesus has to offer, see, every now and then, We need to clean the windscreen. We need to get right. We need to get right because it's never him. We need to get right. If we want to go on this journey, if we want to lay hold of everything that Jesus has for us, if we want to step into revival as a church, as individuals, and know the fullness of God and have our land healed, whatever that may look like, then every now and then we need to clean the windscreen. And so these things are a blessing because without them, you know, I don't know what we would do. And so that's why I wanted to call these things a pattern of behavior. Because it's not Ash Wednesday, oh my gosh, you know, the right thing to do is I just need to say sorry. And yes, you do. And tomorrow, and the next day, and every day after that. It's like, it's, it's a pattern of behavior. And it's when God's people who are called by his name do these things, then he's able to start working in our lives. He's able to start working in their lives. I think the most important thing that God wanted me to say tonight I- is this. It's, it's like, can we make this shift? from these things as being something we have to do to being something that we want to do? Can these things become something, move from something that we have to do, right, to something that we want to do? And I do think that it starts, that starting to do this, it it starts out of obedience. And so, you know, particularly if you're starting out in in this journey one way or another, it starts out as obedience. There are things that we do and we know that we've done and we just need to say sorry because the Bible tells us to do that and we want our relationship to be good with Jesus. So we say we're sorry. If we are knowingly doing things that are wrong, right, and, and we're not saying anything about it, that's rebellion. And so this starts out as just saying, Lord, I'm going to do this as a discipline because you tell me to do that. But what I want to say to you is as you start to do that, as you start to do it regularly, as it becomes a pattern of behavior, things start to change. 
Because you see, the idea is not, that the purpose of Ash Wednesday, the purpose of these tools is not the sin. The purpose is Jesus wants you to go into a revival. And so what actually starts to happen when you go to him and you say, Jesus, look, you know, I've got some bugs on my, my windshield again. I've got these bugs, right? And he goes, okay, let's clean them off. And then after a little while, he goes, do you know what? And also, Al, this is great. Um, and I forgive you, by the way. But, you know, I think you need new win- windscreen wipers. Oh, okay, okay. Thank you, Lord. So we get some new windscreen wipers. And then we carry on doing it. And then he goes, now, do you know what? Um, you're driving a little too fast, right? And, you know, perhaps you might want to just beep at less people the whole time in that aggressive way. A- and, and, then <laughs> and then what happens is it's like, oh, gosh. So in other words, he starts to show us things. He starts to show us other things. He starts to, because he, he wants us to go into revival. He wants us to have everything that he has. And then he says to you, do you know what, Al? You've got these back seats that are completely empty. Have you ever thought of picking people up that need rides and taking them places? And, you know, he starts to lead us into purpose. And then you've got this whole trunk out the back. Why don't you fill it with supplies for homeless? Oh, I hadn't thought about that. You know, but then what, what we start to do, and then he says, do you know what? This is going so great. I'm going to get you a new engine. I want to start healing you. I want to start transforming you. I want you to start and you know moving into all that I have for you. And next thing you know, you have a completely new vehicle. That's what God's trying to do. That's what God's trying to do. So that's why we're talking about revival. He wants to revive us. And so, yes, this starts out as a discipline. But my gosh, because we're in a covenant relationship with Mr. Wright whose heart for us is to change us and to transform us and renew us. And so you see, that is what that verse is saying to the people at the high point of their relationship with Jesus. He says, I know, I know that along the way you're going to mess up because that's what it is. But it's not about being good enough. I don't, that's not the point. Jesus died for us. It's about stepping into everything he has for us. And so if we're willing to do this, if we're willing to humble ourselves, and when we humble ourselves, we say, it's not my way, but your way, God. If we're willing to humble ourselves and pray and seek his face, and literally what that phrase, seek his face, means is seek his presence. Seek his presence. So it starts out by us bringing the things that we know that are wrong, but then when we're seeking his presence, we're saying, why don't you tell me what you want to do? Why don't you tell me the work you're trying to do in my life? And then we just say, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, And then we step into it. And it paves the way for revival to come. See, that's why he says, if you do these things, and I'm going to, this is the Bible according to Al, and make them a pattern of behavior. Then, you see, he will hear from heaven. He'll forgive our sin. And he'll heal our land. The work will start from within and overflow outwards. And so, I, I, you know, I, we're going to do this now. I'm going to talk us through the, this little exercise we're going to do. But really, I, I felt like the Lord wanted us to say, can this move from something that we feel we have to do to something that we want to do? Can it go from something that we do on Ash Wednesday to something that we do the whole time? That we're in a place of humility before God. That we're in a place of prayer and seeking his face before God. Right, that we're in a place the whole time of turning from our wicked ways. What would that look like? Okay. And so here's what we're going to do tonight. I want to invite you into an exercise of doing exactly that. And um, 
In a second, what we're going to do is I'm going to invite you to stand. Now, if you have one of these cards, you're going to need this card and you're going to need a pad and a pen. So if you can grab all of those now, that would be good. So we've worshipped and we've drawn into the Lord's presence. We've reflected on, on this word. And now this is really our opportunity with God to do this now. And so what we're going to do, in a second we're going to stand and um, we're going to say this responsive prayer together. This is straight from Psalm 139. You've searched me, Lord. You know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts. You discern my goings on. The Lord knows us. And then you see we're going to jump to verse 23, and this is going to be our prayer. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. And so this, this is in our hearts, saying, Lord, this is what we want to do. I want you to show me, really show me, Lord, what's going on. Okay. And then uh, I'm going to invite you to do a number of things. So we're going to put some background music on after we've done that. And um, we're going to enter, uh, you know, a period of 10 or 15 minutes, however long it takes, of, of really a, a time for you and God. And uh, what I want to invite you to do is to take the pad and the pen and to write down <coughs> um, the things that come to you, to, to write your confession. Now, you, you know, you... There's no one's going to read this. Actually, what we're going to do is burn them afterwards. So no one's going to read them. This is just for you to do something tangible, to put them down on paper, and you'll see why. Okay, so you, you don't need to write, you know, any long, long, long uh, essays unless you want to. Okay, but the point is you're trying to represent something. And there may be some things that immediately come to you, right? Oh, definitely, Lord, I need to, I, need, I really want to say sorry for this, and I want to say sorry for that. But I want to invite you to just pause for a moment after those things and give the Lord some space to convict you of some other things as well. Because we want to be set free, don't we? We want to step into what he has. So let's give him some space. And then um, when you have, when you've written um, them down and you feel like, you know, you've, you, you've, you've confessed and you've repented of those things, uh, what I want to invite you to do is to come up to the front and Nikki uh, and I will be standing here and we will mark you with the sign of the cross, with the ashes. So the ashes are a sign of repentance. They're a sign of us, our, our grieving heart, the returning from these things. And as we do, we will say the words, um, repent and believe the good news. Okay. And incidentally, I want you to bring your pieces of paper with the sin. So you're, like you're carrying your sin, and you're coming forward, and we're going to mark you with that sign of the cross. And if you can come down the middle, that will be great. And one of us will be on either side. And then what I want to invite you to do is to then take your sins and take them to the cross. There's a cross on either side. And just fold them up <coughs> and prayerfully <coughs> um, leave them at the foot of the cross. Because we don't want to leave tonight with our sins, do we? Right? And so we're going to prayerfully leave them at the foot of the cross. And um, I, I suppose I would ask, because there's quite a lot of us here tonight, that you know, if, if, you, if you feel moved to kind of you know, kneel down and pray, then I, I just I wonder if you could perhaps do it where there's a little bit more room so that people that want to move past can just can just do that. But I get at the same time I don't need to rush. But I don't if you're going to spend a long time, you just make be considerate is what I'm saying. So we come here, we receive the sign of the cross, and we'll we we prayerfully leave our sins at the foot of the cross. And at the back we have self-service communion. And uh, the way that we do that here, if you're visiting us, is I want to invite you to take a piece of bread, 
there is some gluten-free wafers, and dip it in the wine or the fruit juice and then take home. And um, again, that is to remind us of our forgiveness that we have in Christ. So we're going to come forward and repent, receive the sign of the cross. We're going to leave our sins at the cross there, and then we're going to take communion. And after that, I invite you to return to your seat and um, just rest in the presence of God. See what he wants to say to you. Amen. So why don't we stand? And so we're going to say this responsive prayer together. We'll have a moment of silence. And then I'm going to invite you to sit down and um, write down the sins you want to confess on the piece of paper. And when you're ready, you can make your way to the front. Okay, let's say this together. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting.